0: Welcome to Humans of Twitter, a podcast where we discover the stories behind the people behind the Twitter accounts, people that are interesting, opinionated, and surprising. I'm your host, Steve Mulk, and today I'm speaking with someone who describes themselves as, Bonjour, host of SBS Australia Rockwiz and the Eurovision Song Contest, host of ABC Julia Zamiro's Home Delivery, views are my own, so is my hair. <laughs> Humans of Twitter is their stories in their words in a little more than 140 characters. Please welcome today's edition to the Humans of Twitter list, Julia Zamiro.
1: Hello there, Steve. How are you?
0: I am doing spectacularly. Julia, can you please tell me, in social settings, mm. how do you introduce yourself?
1: Um, performer. I always mm-hmm. feel like that covers sort of everything because I trained as an actor, but I don't act that much anymore. Um, I present and host on TV but Mm -hmm. then, um, you know, I might crack out a song at Rockwiz every now and then. I interview people for a living as well. So I kind of say performer. Um, And interestingly, I trained at the Victorian College of the Arts in Melbourne and they, years ago, if you got into the school, you could apply for the performer strand or Mm -hmm. the acting strand, so already there was this kind of division of like, (laughs) oh, yeah, the real actors will be over here and the wacky clown performers will be over here. So I don't know. I think that maybe works.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The people that will host TV jobs are in that room and the people who will be in one show a year will be in that room.
1: I think so. I think so.
0: Do you enjoy surprising people with the fact that because you are such a multi-talented person that you know, to bust out a song here and there. People go, oh, I didn't know Julia could sing or I didn't know she was that funny or, wow, she acts like a demon. Oh. Do you like surprising people?
1: Um, oh, Look, I think what I find extraordinary is when I do get interviewed for anything, you just wonder where they get their research from um, because it's often wrong or they've missed out a whole chunk <laughs> mm-hmm. or they haven't done any reading at all, which always astounds me.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: then again, in a way that's something I've created because I don't do a lot of um, interviews about my personal life or about uh, anything that will, I don't know, give away a side of you that might be misinterpreted or, or, or something like that. So I think the more mm-hmm. Women's Day spreads you do and the more, you know, this is my kitchen, and I've done a, a couple of this is my kitchens, but um you know, the more people can kind of get sort of a, a strange idea by what you do. I don't do a lot of fashion shoots. I don't do a lot mm-hmm. of all that sort of stuff. So there isn't much out there and I don't talk about it. And also, you know, so much of what I did was pre-social media. So it's not actually available um, mm-hmm. there are no photos of it. there are no so you know I played theater sports for a very long time with some incredible people and did some incredible shows. but all those photos are actually hard copies somewhere in a book or in a in a in an album <laughs> um and i haven 't uploaded all my whole life either on on mm. on anything so but look, I think um it 's good to keep being surprising. you know there can be a thing where you 're on um if you 're a you know if you're doing t v If there's too much of you on at once, I think people get sick of you. They like you and then they think, oh, you're on this and this and this and that's a bit boring. So I always (laughs) think less is more, you know, so that they feel like they don't quite have it all, whereas the ultimate extreme of that I guess is like a, a, you know, I don't even want to say their name but a Kardashian where you get everything and yet there still seems to be an audience for that but that's that's certainly not my bag.
0: Are you doing what uh, Julia of grade 11 thought she would be doing?
1: Oh, uh, I think grade 11 Julia was sort of miming into a microphone at home, only child, couldn't wait for mm. mum to go so I could have that whole lounge room to myself. <laughs> and not that I've become a singer, you know, because I'd be miming songs, but I used to imagine performing to lots and lots of people and I perform to lots and lots of people now. So mm. I don't know. um, is it about being seen maybe or acknowledged or I don't know, but um, there's nothing better than walking out to 2,000 people, you know, uh, at a QPAC or at an mm. Enmore Theatre or at a Palais or in Western Australia wherever we might be and just feeling all those people who have been watching you on telly for so long can't believe you've come to their town to, to do the whole thing for them. So Mm. It's a wonderful feeling. So I guess I think performing and hanging out with people who who think that what you do is great, you know. And so you you're, you you yeah. do you know what I mean? Because often mm. you want your peers to like what you do. Um, and I, yeah, and I'm very lucky in that way. In that certainly with with Rockwiz and Eurovision and Home Delivery, I'm surrounded by people who you can actually have you know an argument with or a conversation with if you disagree. And we all love what we do.
0: I, I agree. I think that having, um, you know, the people that you work with think that you, you know, deliver something that's valuable and mm. and interesting and engaging. That that always helps. Mm. Um, I have seen you uh, both in a television recorded form, and it sounds very stalkery, um, and in a live performance situation. I saw you at the last um, Rockwiz live that, that got to Brisbane. Oh yeah. I am apart from your professional abilities to. To, to pull together and, and maintain order in a crowd because that can be chaos at the best of times, yes. let alone all of the moving parts that Rockwiz is. I'm always impressed with how – because you're a magnetising person. You draw people in, Julia, and they are so engaged and so, they feel so connected to you. And at the signings afterward, mm. your grace and your um, – your, your persona, your, your loveliness towards them, I know is not fake. Mm. Uh, it, it's, it's something that they all revel in. I got, you know I got, you hear them as they walk away, oh, I got to speak to Julia and asked and she said this and it was lovely. And that is such an undervalued um, uh, trait of a performer these days, I believe.
1: Thanks, Steve. Well, you know, I think theatre sports training, you know, the best teachers would always say, is about making your partner in the scene look good. You know, it wasn't about you looking mm. good, even though you would take your moments, obviously, like a sportsman will, or, or whatever. You go, I'm going to go out there now, and you know, I'm going to kick this ball, and I probably should never should have set it up for someone else. And but <clears throat> you go, there are those moments. But the better you make you make the other person look, the better everybody looks. And it's a bit like when you're with a group of friends, if you talk up a friend, um, why wouldn't you do that if you genuinely mm. think what they've done is lovely? And when people go, oh, gee, you're carrying on a bit, aren't you? And you're going, what is wrong with actually? talking someone up and I don't mean for no reason I mean you know for, if it's true yeah. But the beautiful thing about Rockwiz the clever thing I think about Rockwiz and you know this is how Brian Nankervis created it which is I'm relying on people who are not performers which are people from the audience they're real people mm. they're real punters so I believe I need to be even more polite to them because they're guests they've not I assume been on TV before, so part mm. of them are, part of them is terrified. But also, if I don't get a great show out of them, if they don't feel comfortable saying anything with me, the show is not as good. It's as simple as that. So when Brian does this whole pre-show before we film or we yes. do uh, Rockwiz Live, he gets twenty-four um, contestants up and picks the best four, and it's a really good way of actually getting down to the top four who are not too rabid in the headlights and are mm. perhaps good at singing and at fun. And it's always top four scoring get through. So when they come backstage to me and we meet just before we do the show, I say to them, okay, you're cast now, You're not. it's not us and them anymore, you're now, now joining this group of people and together we're going to put on this show, so please have fun, please have a go at mm. me, you know I'll pull you back if I think you go too far. <laughs> um, and for them, they often say to me, I've been waiting so long to get on this show, I can't believe I'm here, so why wouldn't I want to make that the best possible experience? I'll flirt with them, I'll joke with them, I'll sing with them. And then the added bonus is that they get to do what they do best, which is do all this trivia, and then they might they might get to sit next to, you know, a Tim Rogers or a Steve Kilby or a Kate mm. Sobrano or an Olympia, and it's a buzz. It's such a buzz, and I know they're going to be on that high for weeks. Now, that is sometimes the thing I like to hang on to and I think, oh, what are we doing in the arts? Is it that important? Is it interesting? I, you know, I should be teaching. I should be doing something more useful in my mind, I think. And actually I think it's a very useful thing and an important thing to have 2,000 people congregate and all laugh at the same yeah. thing and watch an amazing, you know, musical performance and, you know, hear Vicar and Limbould belt out harmonies and oh, just think, oh, yeah. one day I'll sing like that. Um, <laughs> And I think it's an attitude that, well, for me, it's always rewarded me. So I, I wouldn't probably change it.
0: I have to thank Rockwiz for introducing me to one of the most amazing voices in Australia. I had never heard of Megan Washington before, uh, and until her first <sighs> performance on Rockwiz, it could have walked past her in the street. Yeah. Um, and and that for the 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 night she was <laughs> first on Rockwiz. Yes. The song that she sang, and I'm. Now scraping to remember Cement. what it was, but oh, it could have been. Yeah, I think it, was, it was incredible. Yeah, incredible. Yeah,
1: and I mean, she's the full package. You know, she's someone mm. who writes. She's someone who loves lyrics. She's a poet. She's extremely um, well trained, professional musician. She's got a great personality. She's just fantastic. And and what I love is watching someone like that navigate as difficult as can sometimes be the highs and lows of, of her career. And, you know, we had mm. her back on the show recently and she did a great version of ninety nine Red Balloons in Germany yes. for us. Oh yes. <clears throat> um, and she said to me, I said, oh, how's it all going? She said, you know, I'm I can't keep up with the metabolism of the um, the 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 public and they're listening tastes like I I I can't keep up with how much they want and and she wouldn't be the first and I guess if 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 it was Joni Mitchell era you just made music in an album when you wanted to or when you had to or when Mm. you had something to say and now I think there's a lot of pressure on on musicians and especially young ones who have cracked it big and then it's like well where's your second album where's your third album how are they going to top it and that's how it feels that they have to top it and We both know that's not what being creative is about. About topping, it's about putting the stuff out there and hoping it connects with with someone.
0: That's always been uh, something that I think Rockwiz can hang its hat on too. Is the acknowledgement that in just start in the Australian music industry, there is such a depth and breadth of incredible performers, uh, and there's no other show that can profile them. The way that Rockwiz does,
1: yeah. Thanks, Steve. I, you know, sometimes I get a little bit frustrated when I hear people say um, there's no live music on TV, and we're like, uh, knock, knock, hello. Mm. Yeah. Yes, there is. There's live music, and there could be more if if there was a bigger budget and and, and mm. if, you know, people thought that was important. I think we offer something extremely rare, which is a real band performing live with um, two musicians one of mm-hmm. each with a different song, and then doing a duet that you might not expect. And we often try and do, um, you know, connect an older generation with a younger generation, and it's, it's, it's mm. gender balance. We have a male and female, even though often that stage you see more male faces than female faces. But, you know, as a production company, Renegade and Rockwiz have always... Um, gotten Indigenous performers, have had people with yep. um, some kind of disability on there, um, lots of women when we can, you know, so we're always thinking of that and, be, and, and trying to kind of up the ante and I think that's actually also why they wanted a female host because they thought there's going to be a lot of guys up there because in general often there can be more guys who are into trivia than girls in terms of rock or whatever, Um And I've got this incredible gig where my three male producers, Brian, Kenny and Peter, let me do what I did in that audition 10 years ago. They've never tried to change it. They've just gone do it. And and I think that's quite rare too.
0: Mm. Is this the last season we'll see of Rockwiz? I hope not.
1: You and I, I mean, I've got no idea. We go Mm. year by year.
0: (sighs) Government funding.
1: Yeah, we go year by year and... I mean, I'm used to freelance work, so I, I, I'm, I sort of don't know any other way than doing something year by year. Um, even with Eurovision, I assume it's year by year. I mean, anything could happen. But, um, but with Rockwiz, you know, we have this lovely team of people that have pretty much been there from the beginning. And one of the things that Renegade really try and do is to keep that same team making the show. So to keep,
0: yeah, you
1: know, I would say 80% of the people that are in that show are there, were there 10 years ago. That's what makes the heart of the show for us. That's why we enjoy it because it's like meeting up with family again and going on tour and, 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 and doing a, a season. But, look, we only did seven eps this year. We only mm-hmm. did seven eps last year. We're touring a bit more. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. And, I mean, you know, God, your job is talking about TV. You know, uh, t- where will TV be in five years' time? You know, will, our, will my job, the sort of work I do be, be gone, you know. I, I don't know, and and I do think about that a lot. I think about what, um, how we watch, and what we watch, and what I want to be making, I suppose.
0: There, there is, it's a hell of a dynamic that is in play. Uh, certainly, we're well, we're benefiting from it right now. Season fourteen of Rockwiz mm. is on SBS Saturday nights. There's only a couple of eps left. I think when uh, when this podcast goes to air, the final episode, yeah, um, uh, Legends of Australia will air. And I'm so looking forward to that. This this is a Saturday night yep. tradition with my wife. We love watching quiz. Yep. It's so good. Julia, when you start, you always uh, help ease your contestants, either participants in, mm. with a couple of generous questions. I'll ask you the same. What was the first gig you went to?
1: Um, so my mother very bravely uh, took me and my best friend and her brother to see ABBA at the Sydney Cricket Ground when I was 10 years old. Oh, yeah, Totally. Uh, They they play two nights, a Thursday and a Friday. On the Thursday night it rained and Frida famously slipped over and made the front page the next day. And then we went the next Mm. day, thankfully, when it didn't rain. And, look, we were a bit far back because my stupid friend's brother lost his ticket on the ground in Oxford Street (laughs) on the way and Mum's going, are you joking? Anyway, so we found it. But it's sort of – but, look – I just loved them so much at home by myself listening to the music and with my friend mm. acting it out. And I've always loved them in a very non-ironic way. Like I, mm. I like them very literally. And, you know, without, you know, turning into some kind of big story. You know, my parents separated when I was nine and then, you know, not long after... Um, Uh, ABBA they all broke up and they always seem to be Mm. like this perfect sort of group and then the winner takes all this song about divorce and being left and behind and I I think my you know 12 year old brain just went oh right you can that's quite interesting or I don't know there was some kind of solace in that Mm. and then um years later to be on the uh red carpet for the opening of the ABBA Museum when we were there with Eurovision and to mm-hmm. be able to interview Frida on the red carpet, it was uh, incredible. It's like a circle really does close in a way and you think, I've met this this woman um, and who—and I always played her in our duo when we were yes. doing lunch, oh, lunch and stuff, of course. Um it's, and she was very elegant and very forthright and we talked about the Swedish women's liberation movement and you just think, yeah, you're, you're the real deal. And it was lovely. Almost like, right, well, that, that you know, people talk a lot about bucket list and ticking things. I mean, that was really quite something and, yeah, I, I, I love them. I love them in a, in a very real way.
0: Mm. And, and many do. My wife is very similar. Mm. Uh, you know, there's, I think, for, for people that grew up in the era when ABBA were killing it on radio, mm. thanks Molly Meldrum. Mm, yes, that uh, there were songs that people like any other artist, but they really imprinted on them that meant a whole lot. Like you mentioned for you, there's songs that just that that have that connection to a time that helped get you through it, or or those, it's just magical, isn't it? Music does that.
1: Yeah, and you're only little too. You're only twelve, and I, you know, nothing yeah. had really kicked in. You know, it's not like I was a teenager really yet, and all that stuff was kicking in, and There's that great documentary about ABBA where they talked to the, um, uh, he was the president of the Australian ABBA fan club and he said it was so strange. One minute ABBA was on top of the world and the next minute there I'm walking down the street with my ABBA t-shirt and I'm getting spat on because um, that music's no longer relevant anymore. It was punk and it was um, more dangerous and exciting and and then it came back in the 80s. So it's as a sort of a, a new wave thing with ABBA and, yeah, just those sort of how it moves along and how it keeps changing and, and also for me I think too I could hear that they had slight accents and, you know, I'm, mm. I'm French and, you know, I, went to, I was going to a French school at the time in Sydney and um, so you spoke French in class but you spoke English in the playground and to me they were the closest thing to the other, mm. of being an other and, and those harmonies. And also that wall of sound that they kind of, you know, copied yep. off, off uh, Phil Spector. And so, yeah, it was a very addictive sound and to this day I love, I love harmonies and, and yep. harmonise with things I shouldn't, frankly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and, look, uh, Bjorn's piano sound is iconic. Benny. Oh, sorry, yes. Oh, Benny. I always mix them up. See, that's a good analogy. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: See, but look, you know, but, I mean, you know, Benny, I mean, I got him on the red carpet as well and I said to him, you know, you know, hi, this is Julia Zemira, I'm here from uh, Australia, SBS. He said, oh, Australia, black caviar. <laughs> and I, I kind of didn't know. I mean, I think I knew it was a horse and I'm going, oh, my God, black caviar, what's he talking about, what's he talking about? And I went, horse racing? And he said, yes. I said, do you race horses? He said, yes. I said, do you win? I said, so you gamble? He says, no, I win. And we went in this odd direction about, anyway, couldn't wait to get to Fredo.
0: What out? Julia, where do you find your peace?
1: Um, where do I find my peace? Oh, look, I've got a lovely partner um, and he's very calm and he makes me coffee first thing every morning. Oh. Um, honestly, really, that's all I need to have a, mm. a lovely boyfriend get you the most loveliest coffee and sit in bed together and have that time to talk before the day sort of starts um, mm. that's what I miss when I'm in, interstate or, or whatever. And, um, yeah, that's a, a lovely thing. And, you know, I live in a kind of quiet area because, you know, Rockwiz is quite loud and New a total circus and home delivery is a frantic <laughs> yes. day of um, so much to achieve in the one day of shooting, mm. you know, a 7am start and we sort of finish at 6, and which is a kind of a normal shooting day. I'm not saying that. But um, for me, I'm not only having to remember my questions, ask them the questions and move from location to location but also keeping sort of talking to them throughout the day and then I mean, mm. it's quite an intense day and the, and the, the guest is often tired so I, I'm sort of, you know, doubly tired in a way. Um, but when I know that we have, you know, great locations and we have great conversations, I know that that whole day will cut up well to 25 minutes or, or whatever it is and there's no doubt yeah. that we could do a whole hour really.
0: The episode that you had with Denise Scott oh. and her partner John, spectacular. <laughs> that's
1: so good. I mean, look, we could have done a whole hour just on them in the car. <laughs> yes, because you know there's, and that's a thing. You know, when you get a guest, you you, have an, you you sort of assume the things that you might find out, and mm. we know that they've got a long term, you know, relationship, and she's certainly written about it before. But you don't know how, what you're going to get on the day, and you know what's interesting and exciting for the editors is what story are they going to kind of tell and decide mm. on. Um, you know, we have input put in that obviously, but you know, you could tell that story five different ways. And so, <laughs> you know, we couldn't not have John in him. We had him, we would have had him in there way more too if we could have because um no, he's just so such a delight.
0: Oh, they just I, I've loved Denise as a performer and I've had the chance to speak to her previously. Mm. Uh to to see and, and it was the the unmentioned things, it was when John was speaking and she was looking at him. Yeah. It was that delightful thing. You know what, that is love. She is so in love with this guy. Yeah,
1: it's a great, it's such a great story. And she is one of the most genuinely funny women in this country. I mean, yeah, I'm just so glad that we still get to see her and she still performs because Mm. that's what I want to be doing. I want to still be performing like that.
0: Yeah, oh, and nominated, was it last year, I think, at the Comedy Festival? Her show got nominated for the Barry and... So good. All sorts of stuff. She's killing it So still. good, yeah. Yeah. What's your superpower, Ms Amiro?
1: Yes. Oh, what is my superpower? Well, I speak two languages.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Helps. More than two.
1: Look, you know, um, well... Oh, can we, um, how humble do we have to be about the superpower? Not at Steve? all. Um, okay, I've got, I'll say I've got two. Mm. I'll say I've got, I can make quite an interesting meal out of stuff in a pantry where everyone's gone, there's nothing in the fridge and there's nothing to eat.
0: Good, yes. I
1: think I have quite good skill base there. Um, and also I would say my superpower is I can get people telling me things that they don't imagine, and that's with strangers and that's also with home delivery. Um, I think you, um, as you said Mm. in the beginning, I I think people are drawn to me in some way, and I think you should use that not abuse it, and um, I can uh, people whisper. I'm a people whisperer, I think. I can Mm. get them to to tell me things and, and, and go in gently, and I think it's because... Um, once they do start talking, um, I do ask questions here and there but I sort of listen a lot and I think sometimes, you know, when you're on that plane whatever, yes. people do quite believe you want to hear their story. At first they go, you don't want to hear this, you don't want to hear this. And I say, oh, no, I do, go on. And then by the end they feel like they've had this nice time where they've been able to open up or whatever and I quite like it because... I've learned something about listening again and interviewing again and I know when i you know, I, I, I don't know, you get to see a structure in how people tell their stories and how they mm. and what they reveal. So I would say it's, it's getting something out of someone that would be my superpower and being bilingual and I wish I was, you know, trilingual more. I wish I could speak more languages.
0: I'd offer that your, your listening skills have certainly paid off. Uh, <laughs> as a presenter, that we see that evidenced far too often uh, but your uh, your language skills mm. are much broader I, I acknowledge that sure you, you speak French very fluently and, and um, you do English all right thanks
1: thanks uh, it is my but, second language English just quietly I didn't speak it uh, till I was three so it you know technically
0: <laughs> you must be a joy on census night
1: <laughs> they love me on census night
0: just skewing that whole suburbs oh, thing. what would, why is there French in this place um, but that, uh, you show off the fact that you, and I mean this in a nice way, that you either are, uh, a language sponge or that you're able to, to, to get enough words to connect with and impress, particularly your Eurovision, um, interviewees mm. that, cause you see that where I'm sure they get it all the time. You know, that someone comes to interview them and they try and you know say hello in their native tongue and they botch it. And, oh, you know, it's actually like this. And they're all very nice and, and pleasant. But you see them turn towards you, sometimes with a look of surprise, like, wow, this woman knows how to say that word. Well, or I'll pick,
1: uh, I'll pick some, and, you know, and not swear words, obviously, but I'll pick something <laughs> that is a little unusual that they'll mm. go, oh, okay, and it wakes them up. And I think, as you say, they get interviewed 100 times a day, those Eurovision contestants backstage and on stage yeah. and at press conferences. I mean, it's nuts. So if you're going to go and hassle them backstage while they should be resting between, you know, rehearsals or whatever, you better be with your five minutes either extremely charming or catch them off guard. And that's what Sam mm. and I have always tried to do. And I think <clears throat> um, if you can and you're able, it's nice to be able to use some of their language because it is, you know, the Eurovision yeah. Contest. And I remember the first year we went over, I remember thinking, oh, God, people are going to be so impressed with me over there because I've got French. (laughs) And so I'd get over there and say, you know, oh, yeah, I speak English and French. And uh, the constant reply was, is that all? (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, because they all speak. I mean, you know, if you speak Italian, you've got Spanish and you've got French, but also you can go to the places where you can use it. So they go Mm. on holidays to Spain. They go on holidays to Italy and you have to use it and you've at least got that basic get-through-the-day um, all those fantastic how to get on a plane, how to get on a train, all that stuff, so useful. And yeah. then the next stage of learning language is, okay, now I'd actually like to have a political discussion or now I'd like to talk about a play I saw and now I'd like to talk about. And that's just extra vocab. But once you know the structures, you know, it, it, that's possible. So, so yeah, I had my tail between my legs uh, for certainly in that first year going, oh, yeah, just two, sorry. Oh.
0: Just quietly, how good is Sam Pang oh, as a uh, so great. a foil?
1: So great. And I think that's right. We're, he's a, we're a perfect sort of foil for each mm-hmm. other. And, you know, we used to work at the Spaghetti Tree in um, yes. Sydney at the top of Burke Street. Uh, what, what a strange name for a restaurant, the Spaghetti Tree. Uh, it's not Flash, but it was very family. And um, uh, we, I worked there for three years and so did he, but we kind of crisscrossed for a few months Mm. Um, at the tail end of mine, at the beginning of his. And then really I, I never saw him again until Triple R where he was working in community radio in Melbourne and mm. we were going in to be interviewed for, you know, theatre sports or something. And then went, oh, don't we both work at, oh, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, it's an amazing event because it is like an Olympics. More and more it's becoming mm. like an Olympics, I have to say. Um, you walk into this sort of machine and... I'm always quite fascinated by how that machine comes together.
0: He's so generous and uh, self-deprecating. I spoke to him last year for this podcast series mm. uh, well before the announcement that he was joining Nova and we he shared the spaghetti tree story, which was delightful. <laughs> uh, so we now have corroborated fact and evidence. You both admit to it. Yes. Yes. Um, But he also went on to say, I said, a question that will come up for you later, I just asked so what are you going to do? And he said, you know what, my calendar is pretty empty. Mm. If the phone rings, I'll be surprised. Mm. Just that, you know, like I I enjoy what I do. He said, I might go to Eurovision. I think that's about it for 2016. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, And a few months later, here he is, you know, joining Nova and and now he and Chrissy and Brownie killing it in breakfast.
1: Well, I think too, he's also being, I think also he's being honest about just because you have a job now, it doesn't mean it can't all end tomorrow. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, your flavour of the yeah. month for a while, um, you know, yeah, I think sometimes people do, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here because they've got nothing else. And I, don't, mm. I know, I mean, I've been offered it and wouldn't do it um, in at all, a, a show like that, because I think it's so exploitative. But, um, you know, but, if that's what it can come to and you go, well, I've got nothing else, I'll go and do this. It's like, really? Wow, okay. Mm. And that's how desperate it can become that you do a show like that, which I think um, I know people say it can be positive for, for the winner or, or whatever, but I think, um, yeah, I don't know where I sit. You know, you're going to you're sort of in Africa, you're kind of making fun of the animals and the stuff that they eat by eating you know, weird stuff. It's like, well, some of the stuff those people eat, you know, that, that, that culture eats because that's just what they eat. It's not funny. It just is, you know, mm. all that stuff. I find it, you know. But I, I think I think Sam's right in going, I don't know what's coming up. And maybe he even knew but he couldn't talk about it. But the thing is you don't know what's next. And then maybe you find yourself doing radio for 10 years and you think, oh, I've lost my mojo. I've, I've been doing radio for 10 years and, you know, I, I don't know if I can go out on stage and do stand-up again. So, you know, Dave Hughes decided he wanted to go back out and do Mm -hmm. more live stuff because you think, oh, maybe I'm quite comfortable in this world I'm in now. And so, you know, fame doesn't make you um, better necessarily. Um, Yes. Tim Minchin says a good thing about, you know, one thing happens when you become well-known and and, and famous or people do stuff for you is is you start to de-skill. Because apparently you can't get your own coffee anymore. Apparently you can't lift your own bag. Apparently you can't drive anywhere anymore. So all this stuff can get done for you and you end up just being someone who doesn't mix with real people, that doesn't clean their own house anymore, that Mm. doesn't – and – that de-skilling I just remember hearing that and thinking oh that is so true and me on a very minor level you know I'm not in that but that's why I try and you know I'll often walk home from events and not use cars or I'll get public transport or you know because I just want to go well I just did this incredible gig but now I put my sand shoes on I'll just walk home and get some fresh air instead of being in some car that's going to be stuck in traffic but you've got a driver and all that stuff, it, it is, it's actually yeah. not part of why you become a performer. That's not the drive. The drive is that you think you've got something to share and you've got a skill uh, to share with, with an audience. Mm. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, we choose to do this job and it's often freelance um, and even when it isn't, you might find yourself. You know, I mean, so many people have been axed from their jobs after being there for ten years or five years or whatever. You just don't know. Um, and there's mm. certainly, you know, no holiday pay or, or stuff like that. So you've got to do it because you feel you've got something to say and something to share. And I think, I, you know, I'm always trying to look at new ways to to skill up again. And you know, I haven't done it, and I should. You know, you know, I, I want to. I'd like to go back to study, or I'd like to. You know, join an improv group, you know, in Europe somewhere Mm. and have to improvise in French or, you know, try, you can try and push yourself a little bit. And, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing, covering a a bit of Double J uh, for a week. And I'm quite nervous. I'm quite nervous about it because it's a very different Mm. format to other radio I've done. But I'm excited and nervous at the same time because I, yeah. And I emcee events for a 1,000 people and you think, oh, you're nuts. But there's something sort of exciting about the adrenaline of that and trying to be able to keep them quiet. I don't know, I quite like the challenge of that. And then if I succeed at the end of the night, the client's so happy and you've done the job and it's, you know, you feel like, okay, well, I I got that done. I did that. I did that.
0: You do it so well. That's why people keep coming and asking for you though. I hope so. Yeah, no, I'm fairly confident that's the case. (laughs) What's the hardest truth you've had to deliver?
1: Oh, Stephen, you've gone very philosophical on my ass. Um, Mm. What's the hardest truth I've had to deliver? Gee. um, uh, Look... Look, I've, I've been pretty um, fortunate. You know, you know you've know, you got friends that have terrible things that befall them all the time and terrible things happen mm-hmm. and I've been, um, touch wood, very fortunate, but terrible truth to deliver.
0: Uh, I... It may, go on. please. No,
1: you go. Give me a suggestion.
0: I was going to say it may even be one that you've had to deliver to yourself.
1: Deliver to yourself? Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Oh, oh, I suppose you could. um, I remember sort of being 36 and thinking I'd done totally full frontal and then I'd toured high schools with Belle Shakespeare for two years and had some really interesting work for a long time and then everything just went quiet. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you do two years of totally full frontal, you think, oh, well, someone will want me for something and just no one did. And so I did a couple of corporates and then I just thought maybe you're done. Maybe you're done with performing. And so I'd done done a teaching English as a second language course Mm -hmm. and went overseas to London and taught there for a year and slept on Kitty Flanagan's couch very sweetly. She let me sleep there while she was just going gangbusters over there doing it, uh, yeah. the sketch show and doing stand up at comedy store, etc., and touring everywhere. And yeah, it was good to not do it for a year, to not perform mm-hmm. for a year. And then I went and perform and then I went and taught some kids at a sort of a holiday English camp. And at the end of the six weeks every there was like a little concert and everybody mm-hmm. did something and some of the teachers could play instruments and sang and the kids did sketch sketches and and I thought, oh I think I'll do a little 10-minute monologue about being a very stressed-out ESL teacher. And it was really for the other teachers, to be honest. And I just loved doing it and, you know, people laughed and I just thought, oh, who am I kidding? Like, why are you not doing this? Why are you running away from it? And I think I just needed a break from it. Mm -hmm. So I went back to Australia and then instead of going to Sydney where I have family, I went back to Melbourne where I'd studied and had lots of friends still and just started doing plays on the smell of an oily rag for nothing and, you know, Doing you know doing market research on the weekends for money and um oh, yeah, and then sometimes got a touring job with a, a regional theater company, so it was just bits and bobs, but you're sort of going wow i'm thirty eight now, what are you waiting for? Is it a big break you're waiting for, or is this creative creatively is this enough, or you know you don't you're not with anyone, you haven't got children, what's your future mm-hmm. gonna be um And I think we think it's going to last, we're never going to get old or something. I think you think, oh, I'll be sort of 34 and a half Mm. forever, that that good time. And then I got the audition for Rock Quiz, and it was, you know, when I went to it, I thought, oh, it's just like any other audition that I've done, you know, it didn't feel like anything special at the time, except at least it was about music because I'd been going for some quiz show hosts uh, you know about dogs or animals or dating or things that you know uh, really didn't interest me and then with music at least I thought oh great you know I love music everyone loves music this will be good and to think that opened the door to me creating or uh, th- having a space to create this really strong presenter um, side of me and then SBS go, oh, well, we could use her for Eurovision and then companies going, come and, you know, compare and MC our nights and and then did radio for two years with Jonathan Coleman. And then, of course, oh. the Melbourne Theatre Company, because you're on TV, goes, well, you've acted before, we'll put you in a show. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, so that and what and the beautiful thing is that it opened up all those doors, not just TV but theatre, radio. I mean, it was incredible and I have so much to Thank Rockwiz for, but it it was like any other audition, you know, and yes. you just don't know what's going to be around the corner. Now, some people hate living like that. I secretly think I love it and I quite enjoy the challenge of it, but I don't think it's fun if you're struggling to pay bills. It's like anything, yeah. you know, you, whatever job you do. If you really can't, you know, especially if you've got a family, and I didn't have that pressure, which is why I was probably able to sort of sustain it a bit longer, but. I think the truth you've got to look at sometimes and I, and I wonder if performers don't do it regularly is every five years, every year you think, should I still be doing this? And I wonder if you, if you ask yourself that question in other jobs. I don't think you do. Yeah, and so I think it's really important to, to sort of ask yourself that question and say, are you still getting something out of it? Does it still make you feel good about what you do? Because if it doesn't, then um, then don't do it.
0: That That is some excellent advice.
1: Oh, Steve, you can take that with all the grains of salt that you like. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it over your shoulder, my friend.
0: I'll consider it thrown. <laughs> uh, we share a, a common friend in uh, Alicia McCormick, <gasps> who's a very funny lady. Oh,
1: she's not just uh, a friend. I mean, she's really – I've made her a relative, really. I mean, she's like the <laughs> long-lost daughter I never had. So I've got – yeah. Yeah, I do. Oh yes, I adore I adore her.
0: And it was delightful to uh she she hit me up and said, oh, I'm going to see Julia when she's over for Eurovision and to vicariously live through oh. the uh the Facebook posts. Oh, so I mean, cool. We are in the so we're doing this now. I'm just like, oh, oh man. It was really so
1: great. Fun. Really great to see them because normally we go via London and we didn't this time, we went straight to Stockholm and Mm. And, you know, part of them being over there is, um, well, we should do a bit more visiting these different cities around Europe. And it was great to see her. Yeah, I, um, we used to live around the corner from each other in Melbourne and because she's uh, sort of 10 years younger than me, more, um, it's just really lovely to have people who are younger than you around you with their energy. Like, mm. you know, I'd procrastinate for half a day and then she'd come over the afternoon because I directed a show, a one-woman show that she did. Yes. And, um We'd sit together and then just to see her work and, re- like you know, she'd actually pick up her phone and actually talk and then deal with it. Then I'm sort of person who goes, oh, phone rings. I won't touch that for a while. Then I'll get back and just waste all this time. Yeah. So I used to sometimes just say, can you just come over and work at my dining room table and give me the energy to get some stuff done? <laughs> yeah, she's like a, she's like a human. Di- she's a dynamo.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, full of life, full of energy, mm. full of hilariousness. Mm. Um, we spoke, uh, again, another episode people might want to look up for this podcast, uh, where she spoke about her current job in the UK yes. and how in some of the insane things mm. that she has to learn about, um, yes. to produce television it is crazy.
1: And I think it's a great podcast to a great person to talk to, because I think a lot of people mm. think they'll go to England. And it's all going to magically happen. Um, And basically, yeah, there's a lot of opportunities in London, but there's also a lot of competition. And it's grey, and it's cold and it's harder to kind of um, get yourself kind of going in the morning and... Yeah, I just, I, uh, yeah, I'd encourage people to listen to it because it's it's so um, real, <laughs> it's so real, <laughs> and um, and I think it's great to go to London and and because we're, we're turning out too many people here for the work that's available. It's just, yep. There's too many um, schools pumping out interesting, you know, performers, writers, directors, producers
0: yeah.
1: for the work and. It's funny, you know, when David Bowie died, of course, all these great videos were being shared and circulated about great stuff he said and done. Mm. And there was one where he was saying, you know, when I was a kid, when I was 17, the notion that you would be a musician or an artist was so frowned upon. It was so frowned upon that it made you want to do it because you knew it was the right thing for you because you didn't want to be part of this thing called society where you had to get married, get a job and then yeah. die 50 years later. Now it's there are courses to do it. There are courses yeah. where you can become all these different things. Now that's great in a way, but um, he said if I was young today, I would never go and do that because it's so accepted. I want to do the thing that's not accepted um, because you're allowed to be dangerous and different. And, you know, a lot of the stuff gets made now is not dangerous and different. It's really the same. So, yeah, I think if you're going to... If you, uh, if you think you've got, you know, a bit of a skill to go out there and do it, great. But once you come out of that training institution, there's no guarantee there'll be work out there and it'll just be another job like any other job can be.
0: Yes.
1: What a Debbie Downer I am, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> what a Debbie Downer.
0: Well, let's pick it back up again. Yes. What are you going to achieve in the next 12 months?
1: Yes, Steve. What a great question. I'm going to be more organised. No. What I'm going to do is what am i going to achieve. Okay, so I'm really hoping there's a fifth series of home delivery. Mm -hmm. Um, As do we all. As do we all. Um, But, of course, you know, that's still in the lap of the gods. I'm really hoping to have some time off. uh, That will hopefully be in January, February. Mm -hmm. I am absolutely excited to be going to see to be um, hosting and touring with Louis Theroux on his speaking tour around Australia.
0: Yes. Yep.
1: I'm really so excited. I can't tell you. And I, I'm I'm pretty good. I, I don't. I'm not a fangirl for things, mm-hmm. um, but I'm really such a fan of his work and his well, his whole interview style and and the work, the stuff that he's achieved. So it's going to be like a masterclass for me, I reckon, every night listening Mm. to him, you know, pick some of his favourite clips, talk about them, get audiences um, Q&A, find out those moments where he felt he was in danger, where he'd stepped over the line, where he could have done more, how that affects you as a human being when you've experienced so much of that. Are you proud of your work? You know, I'm just really looking forward to picking his brain, really. Mm. Um, so that, uh, Eurovision in Ukraine uh, mm. next year. Uh, there are three cities vying for um, the privilege of holding it. I really hope it's not in Kiev because it's so busy there. Uh, we will never get anywhere. The traffic is insane. Uh, yeah. We've been there before. So hopefully it will be somewhere, a bit smaller town, where yes. uh, access will be a lot easier. Um, And cooking lots of meals from nothing from the pantry.
0: Excellent. Hopefully nothing that involves fermented fish.
1: Oh, no. No. Oh, no. I mean, my boyfriend's Danish and herring is as far as he'll go. And even then I can't really stomach the herring. But, um, Mm. oh, no, that Swedish fermented fish, that is something else. Um, but see, I'm all for a fish sauce in in in, in any kind of an Asian recipe. The fish sauce—that's a different thing. But ooh, oh, totally! That fermented fish is—I think it's just—it's a very local thing. <laughs> it's very local.
0: <laughs> oh. I think it's a sign of people that spend far too much time inside.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, well, this is the thing. I mean, that, that's the thing. You know, they. Gosh, it's cold and dark for long periods of time in parts of Scandinavia and, mm-hmm. wow, what a resilient bunch. It makes, it makes England look like you know, a summer holiday really. So, And, as, you know, as they say over there, you know, if we waited for the rain to stop to do anything, we'd never do anything. So they're always playing sport in the rain. They're always walking around. They're bicycling in the snow. You've just got to get on with it otherwise you'd never leave the house.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, there's some words of advice. You've just got to get on with it. Thank you. Otherwise you'd never leave the house. Sure. Hey Julia. yeah, thank you so much for the chance to speak with you today. Please know the things that you said are very special and you're highly valued. Thank you so much Oh
1: thank you lovely Steve well it's i'm I'm loving this podcast generation. I have to say that's one thing i, I I'm not very good with technologies you know but gee i've I've enjoyed doing podcasts for people and I'm a mad podcast listener and Um, I think it's a really intimate, lovely way of being able to listen when you want to to kind of interesting people and their stories Mm. and, and learn stuff. So it was a pleasure to be part of
0: yours. You're very clearly someone who does tweet on the occasion. Mm. Are there other social accounts you would have people know about?
1: Um, no, on Facebook I'm under a different name sort of by accident but it's kind of good because it's just for family and mm. people I actually, you know, have had a coffee with. Yeah. And with Twitter I'm really still new at it. It's only been uh, just on two years. I started it for when Guy Sebastian was in Eurovision because I felt, well, this was so exciting, I should <laughs> somehow, you know, But uh, look, what a learning curve, and Mm. I'm such a Luddite. So for me, I really – and look, most of the people who follow me are just delightful, right? They really are, just Mm. gorgeous people. But I can see it's good to be a part of it, to see what it's all about and to see the fuss and to see how things get out of control, Um, and then great to follow things that are genuinely interesting that you you read and learn about. But um, don't – yeah, don't yeah, don't don't get taken don't get carried away by it. That's all I can say. If I see something I don't like I just put that phone down and keep
0: going. This has been Humans of Twitter, and I can confirm that at Julia underscore Zamiro is indeed human. <laughs>